hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. I am the father of three children, and uh, one of those is Joel. He's now 16. 18 months ago, though, I took him on a trip that I was doing to Fiji. Now and again, every couple of years or so, I go over to Fiji. We have six C3 churches in Fiji, and I, tra- I just help do some training and teaching with some of the leaders there for sort of five or six days or so. But I decided to uh, take Joe on this trip, extend it out to a couple of weeks, and um, normally I would stay in a reasonable accommodation, let's say. Uh, you know, you're thinking Fiji, and you're thinking Warren just goes there because he sits in these resorts, you know, you know it's, it's not, not quite that flash, but you know, nice enough, you know, something with air conditioning to start off with. But uh, on this particular occasion, I thought, right, Joel needs to uh, learn that life is not, uh, everywhere else, life is not like it is in New Zealand, basically, let's put it that way. So we lived with some, a local family uh, that I knew in Fiji. It was pretty remote. Took us a whole day to, to get there. Uh, when we got there, um, it, definitely no air conditioning. Uh, went into the bedroom where we were going to sleep. There's these two, like, think of the crustiest old mattress that you can think of that you would throw in the dump here. But they were, like, just on the floor. And this bedroom had, like, nothing else. A mat in the middle, two mattresses, that's it. And uh, so Joel kind of looks at me and goes, mate, that's it, that's, that's where we're at for a week. And he kind of looks at me like going, can we kind of stay at that resort that we passed down the road? No, no, mate, this is it. So, uh, so we did, and um, yeah, it was tough going. At the end of uh, about five or six days into it, he was literally covered in mosquito bites uh, because there was holes in the, um, in the mesh, so at night the mosquitoes would just come in and have a feast on us. Um, he struggled with the food, uh, so he didn't eat some of it, so he was getting pretty hungry. Um, and actually, we believe it or not, we're in Fiji, but we, he actually caught a cold as well because um, it got quite damp at night and uh, we weren't quite prepared for that. So by five, six days into this trip, he's like miserable. He's tired, he's hungry, he's, he's sick, he's, he's got mosquito bites that he's itching all over him, and he's looking at me going, like, oh, why did you do this to me, you know? Uh, and then the next day, he's, but the whole time, he, he's connecting, really, he's making great friends with some of the local kids in Fiji, which is great. And, um, and they are talking about, you know, kind of, uh, their life and uh, some of the challenges that they have, and in particular, how much their parents earned. And uh, Joel gets the privilege of working with my wife. Uh, my wife runs a factory, and so Joel works in the factory now and again in his holidays. And he realised that he earns, as a 16, well, at that time, 14-year-old, way more, like twice as much in his school holidays than these guys' parents earn in a month. And he went... Ah, oh, like like the average wage there was like a dollar fifty to two dollars an hour, and he's just like, that's just like that's that's crazy. Like, how can you live on that? And I went, well, that's why they are living like they live. There is a whole other side to Fiji and the Pacific Islands that you don't see when you're a tourist sometimes. So, and when about the fifth or sixth day, when it, it, things were pretty low, he comes up to me and goes, Dad. 
you know, mate, we are so blessed to live in New Zealand. Like, what can we do for these people that, you know, we've got to help them out in some way. You know, we've, we've got to do this. And inside, I'm just going, yes! Because <laughs> you know? that was the whole point. The whole reason that I put him through all of that was that he would get that point. That he actually lives a pretty privileged life. And there's many people in the world that don't live like he does and he needed to see that, and he needed to see his responsibility in that. Now, here's my question for you tonight. What was I mean? By the way, just to kind of put a little bit of context to the story, uh, we did move to uh, a little bit nicer accommodation with air conditioning for the rest of the time that we were there, and I did take him snorkeling and do some fun things that you'd do in Fiji. But I wanted him to experience that first. Now, maybe... Was I a bit mean? Maybe. But here's the point. I'm his dad. And I, my job as his dad is to prepare Joel for adulthood. Prepare Joel for the world that he's going to encounter. And you've done it with your parents as you were growing up, as you would encounter a situation, a difficulty at school, maybe you got rejected by your friend group or whatever, and you came home crying, went, oh, this sucks, you know, and your parent talked you through that and all that sort of thing. You know, why do you go through those experiences? Because your parents, hopefully, if they're good parents, um, take those life opportunities to go, okay, great, that was tough. Yeah, I get that was tough. But it's time to grow up. It's time to learn some stuff because you'll need this. You'll need to know this going into adulthood. You're a short time a child, a very long time an adult. So you might as well get ready for it. So start growing up. Now, if there is a theme that we're in these chapters in Luke that we're looking at, that's it. Jesus has basically spent three years with his disciples and gone, guys, I've been with you for three years now. It's time for you to get your head around this stuff. It's not just about you receiving life from me and wisdom from me and all this sort of stuff. Now I actually want you to do something with it. I want you to actually put it into action. I've invested in you. Now what are you going to do with that investment? And the disciples, like probably some of your reaction, is going, oh, man, that's a bit tough. Is, is Jesus being mean? No, Jesus is preparing them for life. Jesus is preparing them for what it means to live Christ's life in the world around us. And not growing isn't an option. Trust me, when Jesus is looking at you and relating to you and working in your life, he, he's, he's not expecting you to stand still. He's not going, oh, it's cool, you know, you gave your life to Christ, cool. You know, you're, we're all good now. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't stop there. I don't know if you've realized this, but if you've been a Christian for a while, the Holy Spirit will keep working on your heart. Why? Because God is, is really concerned about your growth. I, I wrote some of these contrasts uh, down this week. God is more interested in your holiness than he is your happiness. Your character is far more important than your career. Your heavenly home is more important than your earthly home. Your relationship with God is more important than finding your life partner. Mm. It is. 
Your eternal life is more important than this temporary life. So are you moving forward or are you standing still? It's time to grow up. It's time to get your head in the game. That's what these chapters are all about. And John T. and Josh, over the last couple of weeks, have prepared you for that. We uh, looked at Jesus' teaching on money, looked at the return of Christ, and how we need to prepare for that. And today we're looking at some of the other challenges that we will face in this journey of growing up in Christ. So let's dive into it. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? Isn't that a bit of a trick question? Jesus actually said, I've come to bring peace. You know, like, and the disciples are going, this is a trick question, right? And Jesus says, no, I tell you, division. From now, now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying he wants to cause division in families, okay? So let's let's get that out of the way. He's saying his point is that if you're going to grow up, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, which is... A vision that, that's part of who we are here at City 6pm. We, we, we're here to be disciples of Christ that are impacting the world around us. And if you're going to be that disciple of Christ, when you choose his priorities, when you choose his values, you will change significantly. Your outlook on life will change. What's important to you will change. And some people who are close to you won't like it. They won't. They'll challenge you. And then you have a choice to make. Are you going to do something in order to be liked or in order to do what is right? That's the choice that you'll be faced. And what Jesus is saying here is he's preparing his disciples for this and saying, look, guys, this is going to happen. So in your mind, choose what's right ahead of time Make a decision, make this resolution in your heart that you're going to choose to do God's way. You're going to choose to do what's right when you're challenged, not what's popular, not what will give you more friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Just do what's right. Years ago, I was, um, uh, this would have been, I was around 18, 19 years old, and um, God was really challenging me to be baptised, um, similar to the baptism service coming up in five or six weeks' time here. And, um, and I knew that that was the time, you know, God had called me this, you know, I had to do this. And uh, I'd been a Christian for a while, but I'd kind of been delaying it because some of my friends and my family came from a traditional background and they just didn't sort of believe in full immersion baptism. So they weren't supportive of my decision. And... Uh, and then I had to kind of make a decision. Do I do what's right? Do I get baptized because that's what God's calling me to do? Or do I just go along with what my family tradition was? And it was said that I, the baptism that I went through, my, none of my immediate family were there. And that's it. But I still knew that I was doing what's right. And that's what Jesus is saying. Now, the good news is my, my family came around and accepted me and all that sort of thing. But... It's still that choice that we have to make. And sometimes we'll be at peace with others, and in Romans 12 it says that we should do our best to be at peace with those around us, 
But sometimes, just in the very nature of the things that you're choosing, the values that you're choosing, not, not everyone's going to like you for that. That's okay. That's all right. Let's look at the next bit. Luke chapter 12, verse 54. He said to the crowd, When you see the cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, Oh, it's going to rain. And it does. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, It's going to be hot. And so it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present times? What's Jesus going on at here? Jesus' point is that you're very skilled at making choices based on natural observation. You look at the world around you and you go, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this today because, you know, that, that's, that's the best thing to do. Or I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do some outside work today because it's going to be sunny. Now, if you've got that much awareness to work and intelligence to work that out, then if you've been walking with me, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, if he's led you and guided you this far, then surely you can be aware enough of what the Holy Spirit's doing in any given moment of time. And you can respond to that and be obedient to that. I was just pondering as I was driving in here tonight on how, how unique um, this service is in that there is a... I'll use a very Pentecostal jargon word, an anointing here. Now, what do we mean by that? There is, a, there is God's presence and God's power here that is a little bit unique. And when you step into this place and come with an open heart to worship and to go, God, what, what have you got for me? God will meet you in this place. That's why you come. Now you think, oh, you know, because I come because there's such cool people here and all around me. Yeah, that's true too. But, you know, and Josh and Sarah are really cool and, you know, Jonty and all these guys. No, no, no. You come here because God is here. Now, your, your heart has an awareness of that. Well, let that extend to everything that you do during the week. I was reading a book a few months ago and... Um, the author of this book tells about how, how he got converted. He was in Sydney and he was in a bar and uh, talking to another girl who he knew was a Christian. And so he was just firing all these questions at her because he was, he was kind of interested in the Christian faith, but he, he had these big questions and he had some pretty big barriers in his head. And, um, and he didn't feel that people were giving him all answers to the questions that he wanted. So he was kind of lining this girl up and saying, and this girl's only like, I don't know, mid-twenties, something like that. And um, so he's firing all these questions at her. And then she just gets a sense from God that uh, just this real sense of love that God has for her. And then she's going, God, that's, that's really cool, you know, that you love me. You know, like this is while this guy's still speaking at it. It's kind of like, you know, two things going on at the same time. And, um, and then he, God goes, this isn't for you, it's for him. And so she stops him in kind of mid-sentence and says, ah, David was his name. She goes, David, I, I just need you to stop for a moment because God is right here, right now, and he just wants you to know one thing. And he says, oh, okay, yeah, what's that? He really, really loves you. And at that moment, he describes it as this wave of love just poured into his being like 
nothing he'd ever experienced in his life. He said it was just so incredible. And that just blew away all his, his doubts, all his questions. He just went, okay, okay, God, you're real. <laughs> you know, I'm in. You know. But it took her awareness. It took this girl's awareness of what God was doing in that moment to release this blessing on this other guy. There is a blessing, there is, a, there is God's presence, there is God's power that he wants to release in your, in your school, in your family, in your workplace. Are you aware, are you going with this awareness of going, God, what are you doing today? Or are you just kind of going through life, kind of going, oh, well, yeah, whatever, you know, just responding to what's going on around you. In the simplest way you can do this, here's, here's what that looks like. Every time you jump in your car, every time you get out of your car to go into the shopping mall or to go into a class or whatever you're doing, just say, God, show me where you're working here today. Just do that. That friend that you're meeting up with coffee for coffee, just say, God, where are you working in their life today? Just show me something. Just give me a word of encouragement. It's just that short little prayers. It's, you don't have to pray long prayers. It's just developing that awareness in you and just seeking God for that. You'll be amazed at what God will do when you start praying those sorts of prayers. Okay, now we get to a bit of a trickier passage. Luke chapter 13, 1 to 5. Let's work our way through this one. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will also perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem at the time? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will also perish. Now Jesus is tackling a pretty big question here. This is, this, is, this is a really big one for a lot of people. Not just Christians, not just, or should I say, not those who have not yet decided to follow Christ, but even for us who follow Christ, it's a challenging thing. Why do bad things happen? Especially why do bad things happen to good people? And there are lots of examples that we can think of, and Jesus just picks out a couple of examples that his audience would be familiar with, but you, you insert in there anything that you want. You know, mosque shootings or earthquakes or whatever, COVID-19, accidents, cancer diagnosis. These are, are tough, tough things mental health issues. Like, you know, our world sucks sometimes. It really does. We live in this world that isn't right and we suffer the consequences of that. And I know for some of you here that that strikes a nerve because you go, and you've probably still got some questions going, yeah, what's with this, God? Well, how does Jesus answer that question? Well, it seems that Jesus is saying that in this life, tragedies will happen. And these tragedies aren't the result of our sinful behavior. And in, 
let's just be really clear on that because there is a small segment of Christians that kind of go, well, if you do, you know, if, if, if something bad happens to you, well, it must be because there's sin in your life. Jesus categorically here says, no, 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 that it doesn't quite work out like that. That's not the way it works. We live in a fallen world, and because we live in a fallen world, bad things happen to us, and that, that's, you know, Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. We, we suffer those effects of the fallen world that we're in. But it's not directly because of your sin. So he kind of puts that to bed because that was the thinking at that time. The culture at that time believed that. So he, he addresses that twice. But notice that the most important thing that he does here is that he doesn't actually answer the question. And we all want God to answer the question. Like Job and like many others all the way down through history, we're going, God, why is this particular bad thing happening to me right now? And I, I think it's reasonably unlikely, 90-something percent of the time, that Jesus isn't going to give you a clear answer to that. Now you're going, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. Yeah, it does. But what does Jesus do? He says, actually, the most important thing is that you're prepared for eternity, like what Josh was saying last week. Jesus will return. There is an eternal life. There is a kingdom of God. There is heaven that you will live in forever. And a couple of thousand years down the track, when you look way back to the 60, 70, 100 years that you spent here on earth, it will seem insignificant, the suffering that you're experiencing now compared to the glory that you'll receive in the future. That's what Romans 8 says. It promises that. That's it, it's, it's where Paul goes. He goes, no, no, we've got to get an eternal perspective here. Again, what Jesus is basically doing is he's saying, hey, grow up. Just get over it. I remember um, taking my uh, kids skiing. I love skiing. I love snow skiing. And, um, and when you're uh, up at Mount Hutt, you can take your kids for free skiing. So it just made sense to take my kids skiing because that was another thing that I wanted them to learn to do. And I enjoy now taking them in the skiing and it's good. And I, I do admit sometimes better than I am. Um, oh man, that's, that's humility. I have to admit that. Um, Joel actually beats me down the hill now. Um, so, so I took them skiing, but I remember they were like three or four years old. You know, and like, you know, we've got them the gear and the skis and all that sort of thing. We've gone to the trouble of getting up early and getting up to the ski field and doing this, what I think is like the coolest thing you can ever do, you know, like how much fun is this, you know? And, and they'll, they'll, they'll ski for a little bit and they'll fall over and they've got a little bit of snow down their sleeve, you know? Now, for a three or four-year-old, and, you know, any parents here will know this, there's now screams, and you kind of go, it's snow, like, come on, you know, like, get over it. But to a young child, that's their big deal. It's like, it's cold, I don't like this, get it out, you know. Um, but you kind of go, now, there's, there's a bigger picture here. There's a whole lot of fun to be had. Just get over the cold, would you? Like, yeah, of course it's cold. You know? It's like going swimming and you don't want to get wet. Well, you know, that's, that's how it works, you know. And Jesus is saying that, is that, hey, we live in a fallen world. Bad stuff is going to happen. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Are you going to get an answer? Probably not. 
But are you prepared? Are you prepared for eternity? Are you going to see this in the light of eternity? And I know that you'll have some friends around you that have some big questions in regard to faith. And they'll wonder why you can have a relationship with God and you give your whole life to this thing, even though you don't have all the answers. And you go, yeah, that's okay. You see, you've got to live with an element of mystery when you're a grown-up. You just embrace it. You just go, well, that's just part of life. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's working with his disciples and saying, guys, you've got to get your head in the game. You've got to start growing up. Stop sweating the small stuff. Stop majoring on the minors. Get my perspective on this. Think with an eternal perspective. Unless someone in your family don't, doesn't like you, well, diddums, you know. If, if, if someone... You know, if something bad happens to you, well, yeah, I'm sorry about that. But there's more important things going on here. It's a tough message, isn't it? A little bit, you kind of like, oh, come on, Jesus. I thought you were a bit nicer than that. Yeah, but he wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. Right, Luke chapter 13, last passage, 6 through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. Okay, there are three characters in this parable. One is the owner of the vineyard. And most commentators would say, well, the owner of the vineyard is God. And then there's the manager of the vineyard. Most likely Jesus, our mediator, the one that helps us relate to God, the go-between, right? And then there's the fig tree. That's us. Now, what's the point? The point is that we're meant to bear fruit. Fruit trees are meant to bear fruit. Disciples are meant to make disciples. Disciples are meant to take God's life into the world around them, to extend God's life everywhere they go. That's bearing fruit. It's taking the life that God's put in us and bringing that to those around us. That's what God is looking for. And this is a tough parable because it's effectively saying that God looks down and goes, so how's Warren Goodman doing these days? Is he bearing fruit? And sometimes Warren Goodman isn't. But Jesus goes, oh, no, give him grace. He's got a few issues as our Warren, but he'll get there. And I do. <laughs> and God hasn't finished with me yet, but he's, he's getting there. And I appreciate the grace of God. But I shouldn't take the grace of God for granted. You live in the grace of God, but never take the grace of God for granted. That's what Jesus was saying, what Josh was saying last week, is that we live in a time of grace. Jesus hasn't come back yet, but he could come back five minutes from now. 
You can't assume how much time you've got. You can't assume how much grace you've got. You, ha- you have to live with some urgency. Am I moving forward? Am I growing into all that God has for me? Is my head in the game? Am I prepared? Am I growing up? Am I maturing? I think it's summed up quite well in the message translation, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, in the, in the message paraphrase says this. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around your life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize, that's that spiritual awareness, what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Uh, a number of years ago now, um, I keep saying that, it shows you how old I am. I was actually thinking about this when I was coming here. I was going, I'm actually the oldest preacher on Sunday nights, which I count as a privilege that you still welcome me back. So um, when this was now going back about 23 years ago, I was a student at Otago University. I did a degree in theology down there. And um, uh, at my graduation ceremony, which would have been 2001 or thereabouts, so 20 years ago, um, we were sitting in the Dunedin Town Hall. If you've ever graduated from Otago, you know sort of the, how it goes. You do a big parade down George Street in Dunedin, you end up at the Town Hall, you all get crammed in there and you walk across stage, get kept by the um, Vice-Chancellor or whatever. And um, every graduation ceremony has a speaker and our speaker that year was Mei-Chin Green. Now, I don't know if you know who Mei-Chin Green is. Mei-Chin Green is one of the most successful lawyers in New Zealand. Um, the government often refer to her to consult on um, legal matters, and uh, she's very, very intelligent, switched on, influential lady in our nation. And uh, I looked into her a bit this week, and... Um, Mei-Chin Green was uh, an immigrant. She was uh, Taiwanese. Her family moved out here in the 1970s. And in the 1970s was very different New Zealand to it is now. And uh, she didn't know any English. And so she went along to school. Uh, Her parents didn't teach her any English. She had to learn English as she went to school. And as you'd appreciate, she was picked on, bullied, all that sort of thing at school. And yet she became this really successful person. And I still remember her message at our graduation. Because at this graduation at Otago, there's doctors, lawyers, um, people that have done you know, physiotherapy and business and law and uh, theology and all that sort of thing. And she's going, guys, you're not doctors yet. You're not lawyers yet. You're not theologians yet. You're not teachers. You're none of those things yet. But an immense investment has been made in you. You have now got what it takes to change the world. You've got what it takes to make a difference. 
And she literally lived that, so she could say it with some authority. And then she said, so what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the investment that's made in you? Jesus spent three years with his disciples, and then he took this opportunity, which Luke records here for our benefit, in this parable of the fig tree, and he's saying, guys, I've poured my life into you. I've invested in you. I've tried to get you to grow up into all that God has for you. And yet you've mucked up and, and you've got back on, the, on your feet again. Yeah, you've, you've done amazing things. Sometimes you've got it right, sometimes you've got it wrong. Now it's time to live the life that I've got for you. I'm, I'm going and it's all on you now. What Mei Chen Green said to us at a graduation 20 years ago, what Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago, is the message I'm imparting to you and challenging you with you with today. What are you going to do with the investment that God's made in you? This may sound harsh, but it's straight out of Scripture. God wants a return on his investment. He does. You might say, well, yeah, mate, that's, that's pretty heavy. Yep, welcome to the real world. Let's start growing up, people. Let's start looking for it for what it is. You might say, Warren, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm so sure. But Jesus says, after he returns, that we face judgment, that we actually stand accountable to God. But here's the cool thing. It's not all up to you. Philippians 1.6 says that God will complete the work that he has begun in you. He's not going to leave you on your own. He's, he's imparted your, his spirit into you. But are you going to cooperate with that process? Are you going to grow up? Let's stand together and pray into that. Yeah, let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we know what the disciples would have felt like when you're challenging them with this word. They would have thought, man, I, I want this, but, mate, this is, these are some tough words to hear. Lord, you don't promise that, that life will be happy or... It'll go all our way. Lord, you promise that you impart your life to us, that if we give up our lives, we'll receive life. You promise that it's all worth it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us grow up today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.